Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM. At AM 930, it is good to be with you another Thursday evening, reflecting into this topic of apologetics, and this will be the last Thursday evening that we spend specifically with this topic of apologetics. So this will be the last Thursday that I have Rob Sheridan with me. Rob, it is uh, great to have you with me this final Thursday evening. Oh man, this has been such an awesome experience, Joe. Thank you so much for letting me partake in this. You betcha, Rob. Well, so we have worked our way through Dr. Scott Hahn's work, Reasons to Believe, and we really used it as a guide to help uh, navigate some of those all-important questions from atheism to to scripture to more general questions about understanding how to read sacred scripture. Uh, certainly, Dr. Scott Hahn's work, Reasons to Believe, provided for us an opportunity to gauge, engage a lot of questions. You know, there were a few questions that we really didn't address head on. And so that's what we're going to do tonight, and then we'll just wrap up with some closing thoughts to what we've been doing these last 15 weeks. What was the most common question asked? And I I think it's the most common question asked, period. And that is, Rob, are you saved? Wow. And, and, and this is one of the, this is one of the more important questions. Uh, Are are you saved? I, I used to get this a lot in high school um, and in the workplace as, as a new convert to Catholicism. And, and my answer was, uh, and, and, and there's probably a lot of you out there who, who are like that, mm-hmm. um, sure. who don't know how to respond. And, uh, gosh, I, for, I forget who kind of showed me this response, but I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. And we have, yes. we have some really good, uh, biblical references for that, that, that salvation is, it's an ongoing process. It's not just, just a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if we look, if we look at Abraham, try and pinpoint where Abraham was saved. Was yes. it when he accepted God's word, when he tried to sacrifice Isaac, you know, when, when was the point? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When was the point of salvation? And, and in the New Testament, Paul tells us in Romans 8.24 and Ephesians 2, 5-8 that we have been saved, that mm-hmm. this is a work that has been done. But he also tells us that we are in the process of being saved in 1 Corinthians 1, 1.8, 2 Corinthians 2.15, and Philippians 2.12. And then, of course, we hope that we will be saved in the future, Romans Five nine through ten and First Corinthians three twelve through fifteen, mm-hmm. and, and just like Paul says in in Philippians two twelve, I am working out my salvation in fear, trembling. Yes, it's a process, and we are working on it, and we are hopeful in those promises of Christ. 
Yeah, Rob, the Bible never says that you are saved in midlife, in midstream. It's very clear. And really, that last verse you spoke to, I think is that most salient verse, that we're working on this, but we're doing it in, in fear and trembling. Now, what's interesting is in that passage is the larger context, Philippians 2, 12, because Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11 is the great Christological hymn. And and I'm going to tone it down because this was really at the heart of my dissertation. But I will go ahead and read this Christological hymn and then kind of reflect more on this great verse from Philippians 2, verse 12. So he says, if you have your Bibles out there, Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, his state was divine, yet he did not cling to his equality with God, but emptied himself to assume the condition of a slave and became as men are, and being as all men are, he was humbler yet even to accepting death, death on a cross. But God raised him high and gave him the name which is above all of the names, so that all beings in the heavens on earth and in the underworld should bend the knee at the name of Jesus, and that every tongue should acclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, he says, so then, given what I just told you, that Jesus himself did not deem equality with God something to be grasped. Given that fact, (laughs) my dear friends, continue to do as I tell you, as you always have. Not only as you did when I was there with you, but even more now, given what I just told you, that I am no longer there. And work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Those verses, Rob, take on the disposition of a child. Those words, Rob, really put this principle of relationship at the heart of this response. Because the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense of being saved, as you were talking about it, can only best be understood in light of relationship. You know, what is uh, Matthew 10, 22 tell us? He who endures to the end will be saved. How do you endure to the end? But in a very real, concrete, living relationship with Jesus Christ. What does Peter tell us? First Peter 5, verses 8 to 10. For those of you who pray night prayer from the divine office, you know these verses. Be sober, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish and strengthen you. Now, Peter writing to Christians, Rob, does not appear to be talking to a people already saved as he talks about the need to suffer, a theme not only in Peter, but certainly um, all throughout uh, the Pauline corpus. The idea here is 
when we put this in the context of relationship, it all begins to make sense. Let us just put this into our own relationships, Rob. Let's, I mean, let's think about this critically. If we tell our wives that uh, we love them, and then we go on to not care about what that word actually looks like and what that word actually means, what is that going to look like a week, two weeks from now? It's not going to end well for us. You know, what does Jesus save us from? He saves us from our sin. Sin is disobedience to God. Sin is what separates us from God. He saves us from our sin, yes, but as you so well put, he continues to save us from our sin. And we can begin to appreciate and understand this, Rob, in light, in light of the principle of relationship. And that is what's so important about this topic. Absolutely, Joe. As, as a father, my, my son will always be my son. I will always love him. God is a father. He will always love us. He always has his arms open. My son, though, he's free to love me or not love me. Mm-hmm. And he can say he loves me and do the opposite. We as Christians, we can say that we are saved, but do the opposite and throw that salvation away. Mm-hmm. My, my son will always have food and a roof over his head as long as he lives in my house. Mm-hmm. But if he chooses to leave and go live his own life and not return to me, I can seek him out. I can send him invitations. It, it's his choice. That's right. It's his choice. And it's not until the end that yeah. we know. You know, we might start off strong and we might not finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We might start off weak, but then hit that second win and burn it out till the end. Yeah. Yeah. And that really is the bottom line. So, To the question, are you saved, this is about a lifelong journey because relationship with God is not a 9 to 5 gig. It's 24-7, 365. You don't don't come home and hang up your hat and like, oh, I'm done with Christianity. No, it's around the clock. It's perpetual. And when we grab a hold of this truth, Rob, I think it really helps us and really enables us to take that question, are you saved, and really give us a deeper sense of what the Christian faith is all about when we begin to appreciate the past, present, and future tense of that response. So uh, very important. Now, to the next question here that uh, I receive, why do you call priests father when Jesus forbids it? Uh, fair question. Uh, certainly, there's uh, a, a needed response to that. First of all, Jesus never forbids the idea of fatherhood. And in fact, the Bible actually encourages it. That question comes directly, Rob, from a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. And I'll just go ahead and read this Gospel passage because I think it's, it's necessary um, to, to do so. The scribes and Pharisees bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by men, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues 
and salutations in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brethren. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called masters, for you have one master, the Christ. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So what's going on here, Rob? You know, Jesus is teaching against taking places and positions of honor over others for the sake of self. He warns them against taking honors upon themselves, such as fatherhood, without recognizing the true source of all fatherhood and honor, God. What is he doing? What is he using here? But hyperbole to make a point, an exaggeration to illustrate something here. In saying that no one should be called teacher, father, or master, are we to take that literally? No. If he did, this would be a contradiction. Because all throughout the New Testament, we have this usage of father, particular to spiritual fatherhood, right? I mean, if you were to go to Paul's pastoral epistles, if you go to 1 Timothy uh, 1, his opening address from Paul, apostle of Christ, Jesus appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy to Timothy, true child of mine in the faith. If you were to go to 1 Timothy 1, verse 18, Timothy, my son. Uh, So you go to uh, his second epistle, his opening address from Paul, appointed by God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus in his design to promise life in Christ Jesus to Timothy, dear child of mine. Uh, If you were to go to... Uh, the opening verse in his second chapter from 2 Timothy. Except the strength, my dear son. He is a spiritual father to Timothy. And in this spiritual fatherhood, he is communicating a reality. Well, and we have in Philemon 1, 10 through 11, he says, I'm appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to both you and to me. And we know Paul didn't have any children of his own, but as a leader of the church, he calls his parishioners his children. Thus, he is a father within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see him in 1 Thessalonians 2.11. He says, as you know, we treated each one of you as a father treats his children. Mm-hmm. And if if we look at Holy Church as mother, then the priests are our fathers. And yeah. I experience that nowhere more tangibly uh, than than God rest his soul with Father Terry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. He he took my my friends and I under his wing in, in in a in a mentor capacity as a as a friend and. You know, I have I have a, a very loving biological father, a very loving foster father who raised me, and, and just an amazing spiritual father in Father Terry. Mm-hmm. He just showed me what fatherhood was, what it meant to be a spiritual man, a Catholic man, and I take that to heart as as in in my faith life with my children, 
oftentimes I find myself saying, what would Father Terry do in this situation? Yeah. And it's really interesting because when you put this in the context of Scripture, what does Jesus himself say? How are we to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, right? So all fatherhood is a radiation of God's own fatherhood. And it is right that we say, Father, that our children say to us, Rob, Father, because by being called Father or Dad, right, there is a concrete reality being communicated. And at once, we are to raise our eyes up to heaven and be mindful of God's own fatherhood and how our love should essentially imitate that fatherhood. And so, this whole discussion on you know, whether or not we should call priests father. It's clear in Scripture what's going on here. We must remember something, Rob. When we go to interpret Scripture, we always must do so first in the literal sense, not taking every word literally, but the, in the literal sense in the context of the historical context, the intention of the author, the essence of what is actually being said. Right, And you can begin to gather that when you spend time with the verses, as opposed to isolate one verse and then just kind of project it upon something that is an untruth. So while that is probably more clear to some of our listeners, Rob, for me, the deeper concern is that we appreciate the reality of fatherhood. I mean, today, masculinity is being sanitized everywhere you turn. And the father in some of this television programming that we have is being dumbed down to to some adolescent. You know, we have to, as a body of Christ, appreciate the gift of fatherhood in the same way we would appreciate motherhood. You know, we have to grab hold of this and uh, stop with the nonsense and to appreciate and thank our fathers. We're, we're going to be celebrating Father's Day here in a few weeks And what an honor it is to be a father. What a vocation it is to be a father, to be called to imitate God the Father. I mean, it's it's rich. And for our priests in persona Christi to have that supernatural calling to share uniquely in Christ's own priesthood. Wow. And I'd have to interject something else here, Rob, because I get this question asked within Catholic circles. We call our priests uh, father. Uh, Father, Tad, Father, Joe, Father, Blaze, whomever. And I get asked, well, what, can't, why can't we just call him by their first name? Tad, Joe, Blaze. Well, my response is this. Would you ever call your own biological father by their first name? If I ever called my dad, Bobby, he'd kick me upside the head. <laughs> that wouldn't go over so well, Ian. And we just have to start thinking critically and logically about this. And the more we do, the more it makes sense. You know, the the more it makes sense, Rob. Anytime we come across a challenging teaching, my advice is, how does this point to Jesus? Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I found that all teaching in the church eventually points back to Jesus. And by calling, by calling our priests father, we remind ourselves fatherhood of God, after whom all families are named. 
Amen. That's, that's that's in Ephesians. Yep. And let me tell you, our priests, we have good ones and we have bad ones, absolutely, but they are there representing the fatherhood of God for all their children in that church. And we are called to pray and intercede for each and every one of them. Absolutely. As you talk about, you know, these questions, Rob, what is important is yeah, if if you have a question that you don't understand and you're serious about it, well, then what should you do? You roll up your sleeves and start really reading the text for what it actually says and get into the church fathers and and read the commentaries and you'll quickly discover that there's uh more than meets the eye. And uh and that's the beauty of our faith in general, the beauty of discovering our faith. So, very good. I do want to hit one last question, Rob, and this question is, why do you confess your sins to a man? Uh, Well, quite simply because Jesus gave the apostles, and thus their successors, the power to forgive sins. I think we touched upon this earlier, Rob, but I did want to spend a little extra time with it. If you were to go to John chapter 20, verse 23, Jesus said to the apostles, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That's verse 23. If you recall the few verses before that, what did he do? He breathed the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, right? Matthew 18, verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And of course, the church has always taken this, at least that verse from John 20, verse 23, as the institution of the sacrament of confession. It was ratified in later church councils, but certainly the seed of truth is clearly there in John chapter 20, verse 23. Now, why do we then, though, Rob, go to a priest? Why do we go to a man? Well, we confess our sins to the priest because without knowing what was done— he cannot declare us forgiven. I mean, we just have to think about this practically here. The priest must actually know what he is forgiving for it to be forgiven. And it is always understood, Rob, that it is Christ that actually forgives the sin. And it, ultimately, he is only doing it through Christ. There is something uh, that has been shared with me that I think is very important. Uh, someone who was struggling with the sacrament of confession for 15 years. He didn't go for a very long time. And it dawned on him one day. He just came up to me and he said, you know, Joe, we've talked a lot through the years. And he just struggled with the sacrament. And we talked about different aspects. And he would go deep with me. He would share his soul, uh, the things he had done. (laughs) This one day he says, Joe, I realized I've probably, quote-unquote, gone to confession multiple times to you. And and I was doing it face-to-face. You know, so why not receive the grace? Go to the priest and receive the grace, right? (laughs) You know, you think about it in that context. And, And I think we can all identify with that, Rob. All of us have those friends that we turn to. And we have those friends for a reason that by the sharing itself, there's this kind of therapy going on. Uh, and ultimately, this is the beauty of, of friendship itself. Boy, I tell you, Joe, you want to be humble. You go to frequent confession. Yeah. 
let me tell you, it, it, it is a very humbling experience whether you go face-to-face or, or whether, whether you go behind the screen. Very humbling. It, I struggled with confession for many, many years, precisely because Father Terry was so important to me. He was, he was mm-hmm. such a good friend. In the back of my head, it was always, oh, he's going to think ill of me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see him after Mass. Nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. No, Father Terry got my worst sins in that confessional. He even knew it was me because he knew my voice. He'd be like, <laughs> Rob, is that you? <laughs> yes, Father, it's me. He knew my worst sins, and there was some doozies in there. If, if you're out there thinking, oh, well, no one would ever forgive my sins, mm-hmm. wrong, mm-hmm. wrong. But gosh, till the day he lo- died, he still loved me like a son, mm-hmm. still a friend. And every priest I've gone to, same thing. Mm-hmm. They will not remember your sins. You, Jesus is right there beside that priest. And when the priest gives you absolution, he's not saying, I, Father, so-and-so forgive you. Yes. I forgive you in the, in name, the name of the Father, Father. And the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's right, Rob. And, and as you talk about you know, this, this kind of amnesia, you talk with priests about it. And I remember, it was Father Blaze, I think I had on here. He was talking about... How there's a grace that comes with the sacrament, and, and you know it's talked about in in the seminary, but you really encounter it where you really don't think about that. I mean, and that's just part of what it means to be a priest. And priests themselves are made to be humble, to not assume this prideful disposition of, well, boy, I've heard all of this. I'm so much better than you know. They get it. Uh, so with that, Rob, I thought, well, you know, we've been spending 15 weeks on apologetics. Uh, answering questions like these. But as we talk about apologetics, as we talk about responding to certain questions, and you made the fine point, Rob, how does this question point to Jesus? We must always be mindful of how each and every apologetic encounter, each and every moment is a calling for just not the person we are talking to, but for us to go deeper into our faith. You know, there are some questions that I can honestly say I have received hundreds of times. And I challenge myself, and I'm not not always the best at this, but I challenge myself to find a new wrinkle, you know, and always being present that who's ever asked me the question, as we talked about in the opening weeks, comes from a background, has their own set of experiences, and we must always be present at that. It's about the encounter, the culture of encounter. We must be versed in our faith. We must be formed in our faith. But first and foremost, the verses we know, the formation we have, must always be done on bended knee. All apologetics, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Christian, will fail if it's not done or not preceded on bended knee. And that is the quintessential truth when it comes to the culture of encounter and apologetics. Absolutely. And for all of you young Catholics, new converts, young men and women in high school, in college, if you get challenged in your faith, do not take it as an opportunity for discouragement or to plant seeds of doubt. Rather, take it as a challenge to Mm -hmm. learn your faith, to go deeper in your faith and learn more. Mm-hmm. So I want to encourage you guys to stay strong in your faith, to go 
seek out the right answers. And if you are not Catholic and you have questions about the faith, if you've, if you've heard lies about the faith, please seek out the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be brave. Take that opportunity to seek out the truth. Don't, don't believe the lies that we worship statues and we believe that you can be saved through works because they just aren't true. Yeah, that's right. You talk about the challenge, Rob. That seminal truth behind challenge, you know, provocatio and to call forth, to call out. Each and every day is going to have its different challenges for, for all of us in our faith. And we need to allow those challenges to form and inform our relationship with and in God. That's a wrap, Rob. Thank you so much for these 15 weeks. Been a, it's been a joy. It's been a blessing. And I'll probably grab a hold of you to join me a few Mondays in, in the future. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> all right, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.